you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, it's springtime. Springtime's a... I start thinking about cars. There's just something about it. Man, I start thinking about fast cars, convertibles. Springtime. Time for a tune-up. Maybe it's time for a tune-up to your work, your job, your work, your life. All those things. Now's a great time. Anytime's a great time. We're going to talk about today. We're going to use as a theme. It's never too late. Somebody asked about the seasons in our lives. Yeah, we go through seasons. Welcome to Changing Seasons. It's springtime in Tennessee. Hope it is a great new time, time of new beginnings. No matter where you are, what kind of uh, climate you're in, we can always draw that line in the sand and say, you know what? Today's a great day to start designing the life I want to have. Well, a lot of things going on. Here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at. Dan, why should I work if I don't need the money? Now, there's one to make you scratch your head. What would you do if you didn't need the money? Is, is money the only reason you get up and go to work every day? What if you won the lottery? What if you inherited a ton of money? What if your business created so much money? Well, we'll talk about that. What do you do if you don't need the money? Dan, how do we recognize seasons in our lives? Here's one. How can I monetize 42,000 hits a month on my website? Very cool. My husband has been looking for a job for at least three years. You know, there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't get some form of that inquiry from a wife whose husband has been looking for not weeks, not months, but multiple years for work. Well, we'll have a chance to talk about that. Dan, will an MBA open all the doors for my career ladder? Probably not. Here's a quotation for today. This comes from the old Vanilla Sky movie. I heard somebody in a podcast reference this week and it just jumped out at me as a quotation we could use. And that is, every passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. I think it was uh, maybe Penelope Cruz who said that in that movie. I think that's who it was. Every passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. Well, it is indeed. And we've got some events coming up here at the sanctuary. Got Innovate coming up, our outrageous event where we turn loose creative people and help them put legs in those things. I've talked enough about that. Got a lot of things happening there. Right after that, I'm going to be at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego. I've already pretty well booked breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And beyond, uh, I, they wanted me to do a book signing, and I said okay. And then I realized it's after my flight that brings me back to Tennessee. So I'm going to have to rearrange that, but hope to see those of you who are going to be at that conference. Love to see you there. We got our coaching mastery program filling up for this year, leading up to a major event that we'll have here at the sanctuary in September. But if this is the year you'd like to launch or increase the profitability, productivity of your coaching, uh, check out our coaching mastery program. Love to talk to you about that. It's one of the most productive things that I've ever done in terms of really helping people escalate their success. Well, we've got some success stories. Let me kind of get them rounded up here. We're going to share a couple of those. 
Monday, Monday. Well, hey, here's a familiar phrase. You probably remember this whole Mamas and the Papas. Monday, Monday, can't trust that day. Well, we know you can. It can be the start of a great week. Doesn't have to be something you dread. I know we talk about, thank goodness it's Friday. You know, we have such strange ideas about work. Everything in our vocabulary seems to imply that work is something to be dreaded. It's just a bitter pill. It's something we have to swallow until we figure out a way to get rid of it. Well, and some of the questions today are going to lend themselves to that. If that's how you frame work, yeah, you're going to be frustrated with it. Well, let's look at some success stories. This comes from Steve, who says, We're exhibiting at a conference next week and have an item that costs less than a dollar. We'd like to give this item away in exchange for information or action from the attendee. Other than the typical name, email address, etc., what could we ask from them? also wanted to say thank you for giving me the motivation I needed over the last two years. Our business started at your prompting has evolved in surprising directions. We just sent a pallet of materials to a conference composed of our target audience. Normally we'd be paying $5,000 or so for a 10 by 10 space. But in addition to setting us up with a 20 by 30 foot space at no charge, they're flying us up, shipping our stuff and putting us up in a hotel. Good service really does pay off, Steve. Well, that is way cool that you're doing that. Now, I I checked your site. I assume this is a business you're in called Tabletop Inventing. Looks like you're showing people how to invent things and how to turn their ideas into 3D prototypes. I'm not sure exactly what you're doing, but here's the deal. Yeah, you don't just ask for people's email and name. I mean, that people don't want to give that out. They aren't sure what you're going to do. So you have to be, you have to give them a reason. And it could be, if in fact you're helping people with their inventive ideas, you could say, would you like additional tips for releasing your child's creativity? You know, just give us your email address. We'll send you some tips. Or you you could say, can we send you a free ebook on money making from your invention? Give them a real concrete reason. You're going to give them something. And the best way for you to deliver that is to have them give you their email address. Now we do, well, here's an example. If you're part of Michael Hyatt's Platform University, you saw that I just did an interview and it was how to make $150,000 you know, from your intellectual property this year. And we went through, had a lot of fun doing that. But in that, if you watched that video, you saw that he promoted to get an overview of all these points, to get Dan's points clarified just go to, well, I won't give you the unique website that we created, but we created a unique website for them to go to. Real simple, just 48days.com slash with something after it. So all of those people could go there, but guess what else they got? They got all my notes. They got other tips for how to do exactly what we had talked about. And then it's a chance for us to promote for all the things that we do, the books, promotions, the programs, the coaching opportunities we have, the live events, All of those things. I mean, that's the way that we do it. We give them a reason because we're going to give them something first. I mean, Gary Vanacek's new book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, you know, that's uh, being talked about right now. You know, I got a copy here. He's done interviews with everybody. Jab, 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 Right Hook. The premise there is give, 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 ask. So if you're at a conference booth, you want to give. You can't just ask. 
for people's name and email. You had to give, 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 ask. Years ago, when I had a health and fitness center, we used to do exhibit booths, trade shows, and had a lot of fun. This was in the Bowling Green, Kentucky area, but we would be set up, and we would give people all kinds of things, you know, candy and suckers, and then we would have drawings for major prizes, like one of the prizes we did one time was a hot air air balloon ride. We had one of the members in our club. I would just simply trade with him his membership for doing these hot air balloon rides, so I got major marketing dollars by just simply giving him ex- free access to the gym. And what I did one time was I had one of the great big pickle jars and I had it full of jelly beans and nobody in the world knew how many jelly beans were in there, but me, I had counted them, put them in there. And so people would guess, well, it was like 4,700. I should have had 4,800, but I think it was pretty close to that actually, but it was, it was a big number and there was a lot of jelly beans. So people would guess, and we had hundreds and hundreds of people that would guess hoping to win. I mean, it was a kind of a unique challenge. Guess how many jelly beans and the winner would get a hot air balloon ride. Well, we did in fact choose somebody. They got a hot air balloon ride, but now what do you do when you have, you know, 800 names where they didn't win? We called every single one of those people. I had our aerobics instructors, these gorgeous gals that worked for us in that business, you know, call people and say, you know what? I got great news. No, you didn't win the hot air balloon ride, but you did win a free week in our fitness center. And we told every single person that, you know, you won a free week. We got hundreds of new members by doing those kind of promotions. But it started with being at the trade shows, at street fairs and all of that. We'd give some a good reason for them to give us their name and address. We'd follow up, and we got a lot of new people in because of that. Well, here's another success story. Now, this is pretty cool. This comes from, oh, golly, I think her name was Rosalind, in North Point, North Pole, Alaska. North Pole, Alaska. And she has a lengthy question, but she also talks about a success story when she was getting out of debt so she could change careers, go to a school where she could go debt-free. And just this is just one of the ideas that she did to get out of debt that I thought was really cool. As a matter of fact, I just shot it on Dave Ramsey because she was using his principles, and I thought it was a cute story for Dave to share as well. But she said, I went home and baked a caramel apple pie and then cut it into six slices. I took the pie down to the small town of North Pole and began asking people if they would care to buy a slice of pie for $5. The first person I asked declined, but I encouraged myself by recalling that every no gets me closer to a yes. I resolved to ask at least 10 people before giving up, and I found that I was overcome with support from my small community. They would ask me questions about what I was going to school for. We'd build a rapport, and then, more often than not, they would buy a slice of pie. I sold my first experimental pie within 45 minutes, and over the course of the next six weeks, I was able to earn $1,000 toward my emergency fund. This may not seem like anything exceptional to many listeners, but for me, it was a huge victory. It felt like I was thinking outside the box. It felt like I was actually creating value, and it certainly took courage for me to put myself out there and sell a product, something I had never done before. Congratulations. I love those kind of stories. It doesn't have to be rocket science. Just do something creative. I also told Dave about my granddaughter, Clara, who's six, who has been raking it in by selling her muffins at our live events here at the sanctuary. 
Obviously, she has kind of a captive audience. They're very generous with tips. But she also, in that process, just from hanging around the events that are happening here, she's informed her mom and dad that she no longer wants no longer wants to spend the rest of the time with the babysitter over at our house. She wants to be in the event because she wants to listen and make things up. Now, making things up is her way of describing how she hears something and it stimulates a new idea. And then she comes up with something that she wants to do. So she wants to be in our events at six years old, not just where it's all focused on her. No, there are specific times where she can sell her muffins, but she wants to sit and listen and learn and make things up. That's a cool deal. I hope all of you are making things up. So you can join the ranks of this. Well, there you go. All you have to do to be included in the ranks here is just give us a simple example of what you're doing to be a champion. And you can shoot that in to askdan at 48days.com or just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. Tell us what you're doing. All right. Well, here's a question that comes from Matt. Now, this is an interesting question, and I hope all of you have the opportunity to think through your answer at some point. Here's why. This is what Matt says. My business is growing like crazy, and I'm making more money than I ever have in my life, 100000 plus per month. My wife and I have far more money than we need to live on on a monthly basis. How do you stay motivated when you really don't need any more money? I enjoy what I do, but it's hard to get excited to grow my business when any new money I make won't change my lifestyle in any meaningful way, and it'll be taxed 39% by the government. Any advice you would offer would be greatly appreciated. Enjoy this show. Thanks for all you do. What do you do? What would you do if you had so much money, you really didn't need to work anymore? Well, more and more people are being confronted with that issue. And trust me, people are realizing it's not just about the money. Now think about, I'm going to give you some principles here. Think about Warren Buffett. I mean, he's worth $50 billion, give or take a few billion, but let's just say $50 billion, billion why does he get up and go to work every morning? Now, here's how he describes it. He describes Berkshire Hathaway, his company, as his canvas. He's just an artist, and he gets to go in and paint every day. He doesn't need the work, but he does it because he loves it. You know, he, he says when you work with people who are already rich, you know, they work because they choose to do so. They choose to work rather than just being on yet one more golf course or buying what, yet one more yacht. I mean, those things get old. But you do it because of the work itself. Last year, and I'll put a link to this in the notes for today, I wrote a blog that I titled, I Don't Need the Money, I Need the Job. At 65 years old, there are a lot of places Walter O'Rourke could have been. He could have been in his 4,000 square foot model train workshop 
in his log cabin on 140 acres in Townsend, Delaware, or in one of his two Florida homes, or at his insurance company. But at the time I saw this story, he estimated he was earning $2 million a year from his investments. But every morning you'd find Walter showing up for his $52,000 a year job as a conductor for the New Jersey Transit Railroad. I realize that some people, especially some of my coworkers, might see me as a strange duck, O'Rourke said. But where does it say that a man can't love what he does for a living? Walter adds, now this is a sentence I want you to hear. I don't need the money. I need the job. How's that for a healthy perspective on work? I mean, he seems to understand that work provides benefits in addition to just a paycheck. In the little book by Stephen Pressfield, who wrote the, the War of Art, and yes, that is the correct title, not The Art of War, that's another book. He wrote The <laughs> War of Art, okay? But Stephen Pressfield, in his book, Turning Pro, Tap Your Inner Power and Create Your Life's Work, he says we all get two salaries. We get a financial salary and a psychological salary. The first can be called conventional rewards, money, applause, and attention. Those are great if you can get them. But then there's the psychological reward. The sense of honor and satisfaction that comes from knowing we did something well, lived out our calling, or made our part of the world just a little bit better. How do we find or create that kind of work? We should ask ourselves what we're good at, what we have a passion for, what talents God has given us. What kind of work do we find our greatest spiritual and emotional satisfaction? I mean, finding the work that provides that big psychological salary may also protect us from one of the greatest temptations of our times, that being consumerism. I mean, doing our work well, finding satisfaction in it will protect us from the desire to drown out our unhappiness by buying things we don't need. And as Dave Ramsey would add, you know, to impress people we don't like. But doing the work that God gifted us for, whether it be writing, driving a truck, or selling train tickets, doesn't make us second-class citizens, but rather people who are worshiping God with the unique abilities he gave us and expects us to use. Is your work so important and meaningful you would, that you would continue to go even if you didn't need the money? I love this question, and I've more and more had the privilege of working with people who are asking this question, who have already accomplished what they needed to accomplish and beyond financially. Just this last week, we had an event here and we had a gentleman here who is, he has built two companies very successfully and sold both those companies for millions of dollars. In one, he was a partner with his cousin. His cousin took his money and bought one of the NFL football teams. Well, he has that kind of money put away. His last company that he sold, not only did he get millions of dollars, but they pay him to stay away. They pay him to not compete. They pay him over $200,000 a year, and that'll continue until 2018. He's really struggling. He's struggling because he doesn't need the money, but he needs that psychological reward. He needs a reason to get up in the morning. He needs to be doing something that's meaningful, purposeful. Yesterday, I was working with a client, and she's in a position where 
She has never been married. She's 55 years old. She was a responsible child in taking care of her parents in their declining years. They're both gone now. Last one died about four years ago. She has significant assets, again, in the millions. But she realizes life is just passing her by. What is the meaning of her life? What gives her life significance to get up in the morning and you know hire one more gardener to come to take care of the yard in a house that's way bigger than she needs or to hire two more house cleaners to come in? I mean, what gives her life meaning in that regard? Now, there's a book out that you've heard me talk about. It's fairly new. Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, David and Goliath. I love that book. Malcolm unpacks a whole lot of interesting kind of perspectives in the book. the, The premise is that often what we think is our greatest disadvantage may turn out to be our greatest asset. So people with ADHD, as an example, may realize that being a class clown clown really does pay off. And so we end up with a Robin Williams or somebody with low self-esteem like Harrison Ford takes a drama class hoping for an easy A so people won't make fun of him because of his low grades in the academic subjects. And it turns out that he really enjoys that. He goes on to become an actor. But one of the things that Malcolm Gladwell talks about that is a profound principle is how there is a reverse principle in place that we often overlook. Here is it, here it is. We know that kids who grew up in poverty have real challenges, and we hear those stories again and again and again. How somebody came out of poverty, they clawed and worked their way out, and boy, they overcame that challenge, and now they're on top. But you know what else is really difficult to overcome? And in Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, he says it's a bigger obstacle to overcome. That is growing up in a privileged family, growing up with wealth. He says people are ruined by challenged economic lives. That meaning they're very poor, but they're ruined by wealth as well because they lose their ambition. They lose their pride. They lose their sense of self-worth. It's difficult at both ends of the spectrum. There's someplace in the middle which probably works best of all. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I have a friend here locally. He's the son of what was a very famous country music singer. And that country music singer's portfolio of music continues to crank out a whole lot of money year after year after year. The son has never really found his place. He's never really figured out what he does. He's never done anything specific at all. He just kind of manages daddy's assets. And I think how sad, how sad that he was never given the opportunity. Now, again, given the opportunity, certainly could have sought that out, but he he just was crippled by the fact that he didn't have to get out here and scramble, figure out what he really did well, that the world found a value in exchange for money that he would get. So Matt, congratulations on creating the income stream that you have. But you can't just decide that's enough and then do nothing. Here's another quick example, and I'll move on. I heard John Maxwell being interviewed a couple years ago. And a caller called in and said, 
that he was in his mid-40s, that he had created as much money as he could ever possibly need, and he was just going to kind of unpack, unwind, you know, do nothing. Did John have any advice? And John was so gentle in his in his response, he kind of removed it to, you know, I have a friend who, so it wasn't directed at the caller specifically, but John's brother, as I recall, went through a similar thing. He had been a very successful successful real estate developer and in the mid forties realized that he had more money accumulated than he could possibly spend in a lifetime. So he was just going to you know, play golf and go fishing every other day. And John says, Oh no, 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 you can't do that. If God gave you the talent to make money, then you have the responsibility. And if you understand biblical principles, stewardship, you are a steward of that ability to make money. So it's not just about getting enough for your own needs. No, if you have enough for your own needs, fine. But you have to continue to be a vessel through which those blessings can flow, so to speak. You need to continue to generate money, even if you never need another penny yourself. I mean, think about if you're in a position where you can then direct those funds. I mean, look at the things that Bill and Melinda Gates are doing with their wealth. They don't need more money. They could just relax, stop, and not do anything, just have a life of leisure. They're not doing that. They're looking, they're working, they're traveling, they're making a difference. They're investing their lives and their money in things, health, education, welfare, things that really will make a difference for future generations and turn the course of history in some family lives, institutions, and even countries. What an opportunity to do that. This is not just about eking out enough for ourselves, and when we have enough for ourselves, we unplug and don't do anything. Not at all. This is about being a steward of what it is that we do well, and if money comes easily, fantastic. You have the obligation to continue to use that skill to be to direct money through you. Then it just becomes a, a matter of responsibility directing that money to things where it can continue to make a difference. Well, great question. Well, we could go on with that. I'm going to move on to other questions. This comes from Paul, who says, will you please speak about the concept of life's seasons? Is this highly individualized to matter pursuing endeavors that your life circumstances will support at a given time? When I first heard the idea, I thought about life stages, such as young adulthood, middle age, and so on. That seems off the mark. What should you consider when deciding whether you're in an appropriate season of life for pursuing a particular goal? Thanks, Paul. Well, th- that is a great question. I mean, we, we come upon new seasons at varied times in our lives. I'm going to give you a formula here for how to look at that in a broad sense. But, you know, yesterday in working with a lady, again, 55 years old, who is kind of unplugged from life, she needs to design a life. And yet her fear is maybe she waited too long. And I says, you know what? There's an old African proverb that says the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. But if you didn't plant one 20 years ago, you know when the best time is to plant one? Today. Absolutely. So if you didn't do it 20 years ago, do it today. I mean, it's never too late to have a new beginning. doesn't matter how old you are chronologically. If you want a new beginning, draw a line in the sand and design what you want your life to look like and move in that direction. Now, one of the best overviews that I've seen in terms of looking at the seasons of life, and I think it kind of helps us frame how we can look at the seasons, is in John Acuff's book, Quitter. 
he goes through the five stages. And this is done by decades. So it's in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So in the 20s, he says that's the learning stage. This is the decade where you try lots of things to see which ones motivate you. Then the 30s are editing the decade where you sort out your interest and friends to eliminate the ones that don't fit who you are. In the 40s, mastering. This is the decade where you focus on those things you've kept after your editing process and you hone your skills and become an expert at them. That's in your 40s. Then in your 50s, harvesting. The period where you reap the rewards of the decisions you've made in the previous decades and reach your highest earning potential. And then in the 60s, guiding. This is a decade where you mentor others with the wisdom you gained in prior years. I think that's a pretty reasonable way to look at it. That's a broad overview, learning, editing, mastering, harvesting, guiding. But I think it pretty well fits. But here's the deal. Let's say that you are in your 50s and you realize that you've been at the same position for 20 years. You don't want to be there anymore. You don't think it's using your best skills. You're a different person now than you were 20 years ago. You've added to your academic background, your experience, your resources. You want to redirect. Does that mean that you start over like you were now 20 years old again? No, you've already done the learning, editing, mastering, even if you make a major redirection in your career. So if I help a physician who's 56 years old, who says, I don't want to do this anymore with all the new changes in medical care and the, the way that people file malpractice suits on a whim, I don't want to do this anymore. Is he backing up the clock and going back into his 20? No, he's still in his 50s. He still is in a season of harvesting. He can redirect dramatically in what he does daily and still reap the benefits of all those years of experience to get him to that point. So I I think that's an encouraging way to look at it. I mean, a lot of people think, you know, I mean, I talk to 27 year olds who say, geez, Dan, I majored in the wrong thing in college. You know, I'm screwed. You know, I'm just going to have to kind of coast into the grave from here. You got to be kidding me. 27 years old. I don't care what you majored in college. I don't care what you did career wise. If you think it was a major disaster, you still have learned and edited your life up to that point because of those things that you saw that you did that you no no longer want to do. I mean, that's why I tell people so often the beginning stages in your career, one of the major benefits is not to accumulate wealth, not to move up a career ladder. It's to help in the process of clarification. So it helps clarify what you no longer want to do. That's a valuable experience to go through that. So accept that as such. Yeah, we all go through seasons. Welcome the seasons that you go through. Don't resist those. Don't think that you want to just hang on to summer because it feels really good to surf and be on the beach. No, winter's coming. You know what? Winter's coming. Embrace the seasons that we go through. I think that's part of why I get so excited in the springtime because I see everything bursting out. I was telling Joanne, you know, just walking around on our place here, you see the buds on the trees. They're just exploding. We're seeing daffodils and forsythia are starting to pop out. And what an exciting time. My yard beauty manager, as we call him, has assured me that in the next two weeks, I'm going to see some real amazing color. 
popping up with some things that he has planned to plant the entrances and around our buildings here. I'm excited about that. Our water features are all cleaned out and looking spick and span here in the spring. I mean, what a great time. Now, does that mean that I am going to try to hang on to spring forever? No. I mean, the flowers that he plants right now in three months are going to be looking pretty bad. Those will have to come out. We'll put new ones in. The water feature will have accumulated some debris in there. It'll have to be cleaned out again. It's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process to reevaluate, look at where we're going, just like we do in our real lives. Well, Lindsay says, Dan, I have a unique problem. I have my website, cute little birdie. (laughs) I read it wrong. You know, websites are notorious for making words look funny together. Joanne has a brand new book coming out. Matter of fact, we just this morning, um, I've got the proof copy from China and the title is Be Your Finest Art. Well, when you put that in a domain, the way you read it is be your fine start. Be your fine start. You, you don't see it as finest because that's a less common word. So we, we break a domain down into words that pop out that are, we're most familiar with. So her domain is be your fine start instead of finest art. Anyway, this one is, Dan, I have a unique problem. I have a website, cute little birdies aviary dot webley.com that's what it's birdies aviary so it gets about forty two thousand hits a month the only way i make money is to sell the birds i have pages on pages of information on english budgies my crazy friend randy is a regular listener of yours and says i should be able to monetize this information in a variety of ways he suggests compiling the information i have on my site into a variety of ebooks do you think this is viable Do you have any other suggestions for me? I'm lost and I need help. Yeah, I sure do have some other suggestions for you, Lindsley. Um, I mean, what a a cool thing that you're getting that much traffic on your site about these little birds, these cute little birds. You need to listen to my friend Michael Hyatt's podcast that just went up this morning. It's podcast number 87. And it's titled, How to Monetize Your Platform. He goes through three different ways to monetize your website when you know that you're getting a lot of visitors like you are 42,000. That's pretty significant. I mean, if if you want to have advertisers, uh, they're going to get serious in talking to you. If you have 10,000, that's kind of a breaking point, 10,000 visitors or page views or different ways to look at it. But anything in that number, about 10,000 a month, that's significant and advertisers will start to talk to you. So 42,000, yeah, you've got significant traffic there. But what Michael is going to talk to you about, and I won't go through all the details here, but there are three ways, and I certainly agree with these, and those are to promote affiliate links. So you recommend other things that people then go buy and you get affiliate commission because of that. You can have... 20 books where that bird lovers are likely to love. And those are all linked from you through Amazon where you get affiliate commission. I mean, I've done that for years. Every book that I have on my site that I recommend and people want to know my reading list every single day, they go to that. They go to that page on my website. All those books I recommend are linked right through Amazon. The second way to create income is sell advertising. Now, this is a little trickier, but you can do it with taste and confidence if you actually are promoting products that you believe in. I mean, have other things, other things that bird lovers would want. I mean, it's very reasonable. I talked to somebody this week who was here for our mastermind community, and he sells cameras. 
sells cameras on Amazon. And he feels like he's kind of reached the ceiling. I said, well, what else do those camera buyers want? Don't, don't they buy film, books, photography, you know, books, guides, straps. I mean, look at all the other things, the ancillary products that anybody who buys a camera would want and add those. So yeah, you can have advertising. So affiliate links, advertising. And then the third one, which is really big in my book is create products, create other products. So you do just like your friend suggested, you know, create a ebook on how to purchase and care for, you know, budgies, you know, how, how to, you know, have birds that uh, give the family pleasure and interact with your kids. I mean, I don't know, you could go on, you could come up with 10 different titles for things that you could do to create products. But yeah, once you have 42,000 unique visitors coming every month, you can have affiliate links, sell advertising, create products, and generate a whole bunch of income that goes beyond people purchasing the birds from you, which is now your only source of income. Well, this comes from Sandy who says, Dan, my husband has been looking for a job for at least three years, but he seems to be having trouble getting past the hurdle of not working for that long, that long a time. He was the one to quit and stay at home with our first child. And for the past few years, he's been trying to return to work. Recently, he passed three of the four CPA exams and is going back to school for his master's. Those activities seem to be generating some interest. However, nothing gets very far. Lots of resumes sent, an interview here or there, but someone else is always hired. He started calling places a week or two after sending a resume, but that does not seem to be helping very much. Now, again, I could we could change the names and plug in the details, and it would represent you know 50 letters a month that we get here like this. Gee, my husband's been out of work. I got a note yesterday from a gentleman who's not worked for three years, and his wife is saying it's time to get back in the game, dude. I mean, he, he worked on some of his own business ideas in that period of time, but he was now asking, how does he get past that hurdle on his resume? What do you put on your resume when you have a three-year gap where you weren't working? And I said, oh man, that, that's not a problem. You know, do you have a company name for the company that you're working on that you still ultimately want to get going? Sure. Uh, okay. Now he, his background is in selling. And I said, put the company name. It has nothing to identify you as being the owner, sole proprietor, the only person there, nothing. It's just a company name and put yourself as senior account representative. It's not, you know, it's not deceitful. It's not misrepresentative. Keep in mind what you want in a resume. You want it to whet their appetite. So they want to talk to you personally. That's the only purpose of a resume. Resume is not going to give somebody enough information by which they could make an intelligent decision about hiring you. You don't want it to do that. You want it to whet their appetite so they want to see you. So you put on there company name, your own company, you're a senior account representative. Don't put on there owner, founder, CEO, entrepreneur. Yeah, that's a red flag. But put on there your senior account representative and go on into the interviews. Done. I mean, 30 seconds. Put that on your resume. Get back in the game. Now, here's, here's the deal. Back to this question. My husband's been looking for a job for three years. You know, Dr. Seuss, you know, the places you'll go, says you have brains in your head, you have feet on your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose, you're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the one who'll decide where you go. Well, this process of getting a job is very much an inner process. It has 
much less to do with externals. It has very little to do with the economy, who the politicians are, what's happening around the world, where unrest is. It has a whole lot to do with what's happening between your own two ears. Now, here's what can happen when somebody's been out of work for a very long time. They start to confuse activity with accomplishment. I see that in people in the music industry. Where And, geez, if I lined up the, the wives who knock on our door and wonder how to get their husbands off their tushes and out into the world to generate some income, but you know what the husbands say? Well, geez, I'm a musician. Of course I'm working. You know, every day I'm online seeing what else other people are doing. I'm, you know, sitting there staring at the wall, hoping that a lyric is going to come to me and then I'm going to put that together in a tune. I'm a songwriter. Of course I'm working. I'm like, okay, dude, how much money have you generated in the last three years? Well, no. How much money have you generated in the last three years? Well, it's been kind of a slow run. Okay. Zero, right? Zero. Yeah. Okay, you don't have a job, you don't have a business, you don't have a career. I mean, you could at most call it a hobby, but it's none of the above. Get out of the house and go do something to generate income. I know that's a hard thing when you consider yourself to be a creative, but trust me, if you haven't created income in three years, it's not working. It's not working. Go get a job at Home Depot, which is where one of the musicians I worked with recently is right now. He's not thrilled about it, doesn't like it. Obviously, it's not his dream career, but at least he's going to work in the morning, getting a paycheck, and at least providing some family income. It's easy to confuse activity with accomplishment when you're stuck in this process of not having a job. And that much time out of the game is going to play havoc with your husband's self-esteem and confidence. He's, he's likely trying to look busy while avoiding the reality of real job searching. I recently passed four CPA exams. He's going back to school for his master's. Wow, have I heard that a thousand times. Lots of people go back to school when a job search isn't going well. I mean, it's a socially acceptable way to hide out and procrastinate, having to deal with the reality of creating income. That's not the economy. It's these other factors that are crippling your husband. I mean, he needs to be very strategic about his job search. Start with identifying 30 to 40 target companies. Send a letter of introduction, then the cover letter and resume, then the phone follow-up. That's going to produce five or six interviews. Of those, he should receive at least two offers. If not, then zero in on the area of breakdown in this practical sequence. Is it in? Is he getting no response to the resumes? If so, yeah, let's look at the resume. If he's getting interviews, so he's had five or six interviews, but no job offer. Whoa, we know where the problem is. It's not in his resume. His resume is getting interviews, which is exactly what we want. It's in the interview. Why don't people want him on their team? It's just that simple. So let's look at that. I mean, that's not a big deal. Let's just look at that, though, directly, instead of assuming it's the economy or nobody's hiring. No. Why is it that you're getting five or six interviews and still not getting a job offer? Something in that interview is making people less than excited about having you on their team. 
So we need we can look at exactly where does this break down. This is a sequence. If you're going through that sequence, there are jobs to be had out there. We're hearing from people every day who are getting multiple job offers because they're the kind of people people want on their team. I'll give you an update here. I need to give you an update on my Taco Bell guy. I see him frequently, that being a place that I frequent frequently. So I, I see him a lot. His name is Kevin, but he's the kid who came in. I was sitting there and he came in off the street with a job application that he had picked up the day before, but had never talked to anybody, walked in with the job application. And in literally a three minute interview with the manager, she said, can you start tomorrow? And he said, yes. And he's been there ever since. Now that's been about three months. So in that period of time, I've had a chance to get to know him. He's a real nice, personable young guy. He's making eight bucks an hour. My thinking is, if only he knew, and he's about to know because I'm talking to him, and I get somebody, he said, about two weeks ago, he came to me and says, hey, Dan, he says, some of the people working here say that you're an author, that you write about work. And I said, yeah, I do. So I gave him a copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love, and the next time I saw him, he says, oh, my gosh. He said, I read it in two days. He said, I couldn't put it down. He said, that really opened my eyes. Well, what it's going to open his eyes to is the fact that if he's got great personal skills, he can walk in a whole lot of places and get a $15 an hour job rather than an $8 an hour job, because it's those personal skills that companies look for. Those are the things they respond to. That's what the manager at Taco Bell responded to, because I asked her, I asked her after he had left, I said, what's up with that? Why did you choose to hire that guy? Even though he had tattoos and a ring in his nose she says well i asked him if he'd be willing to take the ring out of his nose he said yes and i liked the way he looked at me directly answered directly respectfully called me ma'am she says i need people like that on my team no background check no drug check nothing just boom can you come to work tomorrow that easy if you've got those kind of personal skills and that carries all the way up those are the things that open doors for people well, I have somebody who asked if an MBA would open all the career doors that he needs to go up the ladder, up the career ladder. I'll, I'll come back to that. You know, in doing a revision, I'm just completing a major revision of 48 Days to the Work You Love, and I've got a brand new chapter in there that's titled, Yes, I Do Have an Education. And it talks about the things that really are part of being educated that go way beyond having academic degrees or things you learn just sitting in a classroom. I think I'm going to devote an entire podcast to just that. How do you get an education that opens doors for you, that can open the doors financially and career-wise wherever you want to go? Well, I'll do that. I'll do that perhaps on the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll devote one to just that. Yes, I do have an education. Well, today we've talked about it. It's not too late. Remember that quotation from Vanilla Sky, the movie? Every passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. Love that. Well, we had a chance to unpack the idea. Why should I work if I don't need the money? Oh, my goodness. I wish for all of you that you'll be in that position where you don't have to work for the money anymore. People ask me, you know, gee, when are you going to retire? And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Well, what would I do? You know, if I'm doing something that I absolutely love every day, I have time flexibility and freedom. Um, why would I just stop doing what I'm doing? I just can't imagine that kind of mentality that, well, this is work, so I'm going to stop it and I'm going to force myself to do nothing. 
I mean, I, oh my, just the idea makes me nauseous to think about it. Anyway, we'll be talking about that and more. Hey, this is, we're already at the end of the end of our time here. Thanks for being part of this process. I know you're educated, you know, that you have opportunities to share your gifts in ways that provide income for your you, yourself, your family, and beyond. Keep knowing that you're a responsible vessel for those blessings to flow through. Thanks for being part of this community where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.